I'm James Zug, and this is Outside the Glass. Squash in San Diego, they like to say, is like beach volleyball in Alaska. But as anyone who's been in Anchorage will know, there is beach volleyball in Alaska. The Alaska Outdoor Volleyball Association has a vibrant summer league in Anchorage, based at 38th and Arctic Boulevard, and the state championships are in late July. And likewise, there is squash in San Diego. 45 years ago, Blair Sadler arrived in town as a squash junkie, as someone who had first learned of the game in college and had been in love with it ever since. He had played wherever he lived, D.C., New Haven, Princeton. And so for decades in San Diego, he hunted and packed around, finding courts and partners wherever he could, and representing San Diego nationally at tournaments and on the board of U.S. Squash. Then in 2006, a group of squash friends, including former world number four Chris Walker, started an after-school youth enrichment program at the one main club in town, the four-court San Diego squash. It was the first urban squash program west of Chicago and the first one in a tiny squash community. They called it Surf City Squash, and Blair here talks about the name change to Access Youth Academy. They are still the only Squash and Education Alliance program that doesn't have squash in their name. As unlikely as the prospects might have seemed at the time, the program is now one of the most vibrant in the country. And to learn more about Access, you can listen back to two Outside the Glass episodes. One is episode 23 with Reno Pacheco. It is still, four years later, one of the most listened to and discussed OTG episodes we've ever done. Reyna is an Access graduate, former pro player, and now a member of the Professionals Board at the Squash and Education Alliance. And she's probably the most famous SEA graduate, having appeared on NBC and her story forming the basis for an episode of Little America on Apple TV+. The other episode to check out is episode 67 with Renato Paiva. Access Youth Academy's Dynamic Executive Director. Blair Sadler, our guest today, is a nationally renowned expert about U.S. healthcare. He was president and CEO of Rady Children's Hospital in San Diego from 1980 to 2006. He was the chair of the board of Access from 2012 to 2022 and played a central role in developing the spectacular eight-court facility in southeast San Diego that opened last year. Last month, U.S. Squash honored Blair with the W. Stewart Bronze Junior Award, one of its oldest and most prestigious awards to celebrate Blair's incredible contributions to the game of squash. I discovered squash in college at Amherst. I'd never seen a squash court before or really knew anything about it. I was a pretty decent high school tennis player, nothing extraordinary, in Allentown. Pennsylvania, having been born in New York City. And so I saw it, and I saw these really good guys, senior, junior players, saying, wow, that's a cool game. And the really important thing, and it relates to our whole conversation today, Jim, is inclusion. Inclusion. Because I remember talking to the coach, Ed Saris, who became a legend, but he was, this was only his second year. I was class of 62 at Amherst, and uh, asking about it, and he said, well, come on down and try out, and of course, like anybody, I kind of fumbled around, didn't know where the walls were and how to hold the racket or anything. I have an identical twin brother, Fred, who 
also is has good hand-eye coordination and discovered squash, and so we both tried out. I remember that was way back when, some of the listeners will remember, we used to have freshman teams as well, as, and not just varsity teams. So I like to tell the story that I was 15th on the freshman team on October 15th of my freshman year, and by January 5th, I was number five. And it was just because I put in the time and learned. When I had a twin brother, we were kind of each other's ball machine, but it was mostly copying the, and mimicking the strokes of the top players. I didn't have, couldn't afford, I was a scholarship student, I couldn't afford lessons. So Ed, but never, were, Ed didn't give you lessons? Well, Ed did, but he was primarily a tennis coach. Right. So sure, he gave absolutely lessons in the basics, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and he was a great coach as a motivational person and all of that, but he wasn't, tennis was really his sport. Yeah. So the fine, fine points. And because I got included in that, I then played varsity all four years. Our senior year, five of the six of us, I know my, you know, my graduating class had never played squash before. Wow. And we were ranked fourth in the country, you know, and then, you know, Beat Penn eight to one and Trinity eight to one, and, you know. Of course Williams, but uh, yeah, couldn't beat Harvard Princeton. Yeah, but the reason I tell that story is simply that squash became part of my life from there on by being included in a chance to play. Right. So when I right. came to Philadelphia, where we're having this interview today, and went to law school at the University of Pennsylvania, I was a volunteer assistant coach at Allen Law at Penn, and you know continued to play and. What was, that, what was that like? He was great. Yeah. He was great. Yeah. Uh, very for a different personality from Ed, but boy, right. he was a real squash coach. aficionado yeah. coach. Yeah. I also would you know, play all these amazing players who were in their 40s and 50s, and I can remember warming up with somebody and say, oh, I'm going to clean the floor with this guy. And then ended up getting clean myself. I said, oh, okay, I got a lot to learn. And so it was this process, Jim, of continuous learning. Right. that I sort of got this virus, you know, I loved it. And so when I went to NIH for three years my brother, with my brother as a medical legal team, we joined the university club and we were both club champions, you know, and then went to Yale and taught at medical school for three years and played with a varsity and, and then in Princeton for four years at the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation and played with the varsity and lots of names we know, we don't have time today to go through. So what about you and your brother? Did you guys have a big rivalry? Uh, were you better than him? Was he better I, than you? I was of course better <laughs> and better looking and nicer and uh, all of those good things and he's aging badly because he's, he's four minutes older. You, know, you those, can tell that. Those four minutes <laughs> make a difference. Uh, but so, you know, actually, uh, you know, so my strategy was if I could just stay on the court four minutes longer than my brother then, you know, I could outlast him. The true story is when we were four, I think about 15, and we had just discovered tennis and fallen all over that we're playing sort of similar, like ours, and kind of some, some hot Allentown summer day, like a hot Philadelphia mm-hmm. humid day, yeah. and we're sitting there perspiring after and I'm like, what if we both could be winners instead of one winner and one loser? What if we both, we stopped keeping score? And that was a profound change because from then on, we never kept score in a single tennis match or a single squash match. 
and I would be his ball machine and he'd be my ball machine and you know you just muscle memory and you just learn it was amazing so that had a lot to do with collaboration and teamwork and right. stuff, which I didn't realize at the time right but it had a lot to do with right uh, not only my interest in squash and collaboration with kids and other people and being part of a team but just how I organize my life you know so when did you move to San Diego 1977. What's uh, the squash scene in San Diego in 1977? Uh, it was a virtual wasteland. You know, Renato Paiva, my colleague, we're going to talk a lot about in Access Youth Academy a little bit. He likes to say, I love this phrase, he says, you know, squash in San Diego is like beach volleyball in Alaska. But let me take you back in history. There was something called the hardball. That's what I learned. That's what we played still then because it hadn't changed till the 80s. And I think there were four other A players and five other, you know, all guys at this point because uh, there were no prep schools that had squash. The universities had squash. And, um, you know, by then I'd been ranked 19th in the country in, in the men's uh, before I left, so I could play the game pretty well. But when it shifted to the softball, there were an interesting number of people from England and Pakistan and others who started who had been players right. who lived there. Right. So by Philadelphia standards, it was still a speck, right? Uh, was there a club in the seventies that you could join, or did you have to go up to LA? There were uh, small. There was a small cl a couple of clubs downtown that had just one court. Hard main all thing, hardball court. All hardball. But the main thing was the Naval Training Center, believe it or not, Jim of all places, had four standard hardball courts. And the commandant, the local commandant of the, happened to be Matty Matthews, I can still remember, a wonderful guy, was a squash player. And he liked cities, as he called us civilians, and invited us to play. So we'd play down there. Change in the, your car and stuff was another. Oh, there was no like no locker room. No, no locker for room for the civilians. Right, and then later in the eighties and nineties, two guys uh, built a squash group, a squash club called San Diego Squash for English sized mm -hmm. courts, mm -hmm. and the game for San Diego standards really grew quite wow, a bit for sure. And that's where I played. For the next 25 years, you know, right. uh, through till I was 55 and played actively in the age groups prior to yeah. hip replacement time, you know, which was been very successful. But anyway, so uh, bottom line is if you think of San Diego County as the size of the state of Connecticut, and there's one squash club in the state of Connecticut with four courts. Mm -hmm. Now, Access Youth Academy with eight courts, one of which is doubles. Yeah. I mean, that's what we are. But we're also talking about the eighth largest city in America. We're talking about public schools all over the place. Opportunity off the charts, yeah. right? But no, but no courts back then. Yeah, or but very no, little. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's to think about building a program, an uh, urban squash program, and he's, as Greg's at. Right. Pioneering way started in Boston and right. New York, Philadelphia, Chicago, etc. We were the first one on the West Coast to try, you know, and a lot of there were a lot of skeptics, even naysayers, including squash buddies from the East Coast, who would understandably say, 
flare. Oh, it's, it's a pipe dream. It just won't work. And right. racquetball that still was still quite popular. It's yeah. Like, it, you know, starting to decline. But and plus the weather was so great. I this quick aside to many of your listeners. There is not a single indoor tennis club in San Diego. Eight, eighth largest city because the weather is is great 320 days a year or some damn thing. You so know? That's, wait, so you have never played indoor tennis? In San Diego. In San Diego. Yeah, I remember the first, we had a kind of a, a 10 day rain thing over, I think the first Christmas, I was just like, gotta find a court break. Jordan, <laughs> there, there were none. So it's, no. not, it's just, a, it's a different world. But as we all know, squash is this wonderful year round game. Tell me about the change of the name. Uh, uh, how did that decision get made? We really wanted to get Jim Zug into the name, but your dad, you know, your dad vetoed it. You know, your dad vetoed it. So uh, seriously, we were called Surf City Squash when we started, and five years into it, we had come to realize further, more and more that. Squash at San Diego Beach, volleyball, Alaska, right? Uh, that's not going to attract anybody. Plus, at its core, as you know so well, Jim, urban squash programs aren't primarily squash programs. They're youth development programs. Right. And so, by one, taking squash out for both practical awareness fundraising uses, but also, who are we? If we're going to put in three words, who is it that we are? What is it that we do? What do we believe in? Access, equal access for everybody who didn't have the same privileges that we had growing up. Two, it's on youth for sure. An academy, you know, institute, whatever, whatever. We certainly weren't, we weren't degree graduating, but it was the intellectual side of that. It was right. kind of academic side. Yeah, and, but there were one or two board members who were more you know, traditional squash members who really thought that was a mistake, you know, because it, mm. it, it, uh, we lost our uniqueness, but right. uh, it was the right decision, would absolutely wouldn't change it because mm. it describes who we are. And now, in just the last 90 days, and since you interviewed uh, Renato, our dream has come true. We've opened a new facility, Seven singles, one doubles, as I mentioned, and we're now working with, guess what? 13 schools instead of just one school. The Price School is still a tremendous partner. They have said, we're providing the two buses to make sure all the kids get down to Southeast San Diego in a federally designated promise zone, which is where we're located, yeah. which is where we should be, because that's where most of our kids live in those neighborhoods. And it's, it's very exciting to be talking to you today here, you know, with the opening of the Spectre Center and uh, see yeah. the magic that's here, but and in a smaller way, but a pretty big way for us, the magic of having eight courts full of kids, staying an hour and a half after six o'clock, wanting to, often with their parents, some of their parents are starting to play, believe it or not, you know, it's, it's goosebumps, it's very exciting stuff. So you, you and I have talked about this. T tell me about the uh, the public partnerships that you did you've developed uh, to to put together this new building, which was you know pretty extraordinary because it's not a big squash 
city, so you can't lean on the people who, who often are the core supporters of an urban squash program. Uh, you had to figure out a different way to, to, to you know, put it together. How, how did you do it? Uh, it turned out that was really a key decision and a, an awareness, because you're absolutely right. And part of it was growing our board to get a diversity of skill sets on the board, one of whom was the city manager uh, for 15 years, Jack McCrory, and he knew all about new market tax credits and stuff. The other was my own personal experience at Children's Hospital. We had all these partnerships with the county, with the city, uh, with Congress, and we were very comfortable with, because Medicaid funding was very important. I don't know whether listeners know this, but right here in Philadelphia, as well as in San Diego, slightly under half of patients in children's hospitals have no private health insurance. And 90% of those are in Medicaid, so Medicaid funding, and which is, so I, I just was kind of in my DNA of, well, of course, let's talk about what federal and state money is available. And when I heard about new market tax credits, which I, we had not used at children's, we jumped on it, we just pounced on it, and we made the case that we're a community resource. And it was very easy to do because it was very honest. You know, it's going to be open to everybody. But what it allowed us to do, and we spent a lot of time with local community planning groups. You know, we've all read and been maybe part of a well-intentioned outside group coming in and saying, we're going to do this good thing for a year, you're going to like it. We would go in and say, we think we have a good idea. And we'd have some of our students from there who are now taking hour and a half bus rides saying, I like this in my own backyard. And over time, we got a tremendous local community support. Yeah. And so this is actually HUD money. Mm. It's a federal <clears throat> program. It's about 20 years old. And every couple of years, various cities get an allocation of X million dollars that they can, within defined right. guidelines, for low-income housing, education. So obviously there hadn't been a squash run ever, but it's, guess what? It's low-income, it's education, it's kids, regardless of ability to pay. Hmm, that kind of clicks. And so it's kind of retooling the narrative to fit the audience and right. then that got approved, and then ultimately the whole city council and the mayor had to, you know, approve it, which they did unanimously, and that was five and a half million dollars, and that's not a loan, that's a grant. We also went to, in addition to philanthropy, and a big foundation like the California Endowment gave us a million dollars right at the beginning, uh, from a relationship I had with the president, who used to be the health commissioner in San Diego, he's a pediatrician, so he's oriented towards kids. And... Um, but we also have some significant loans, so if anyone listening today wants to write a check to accessyouthacademy.org, feel free, seriously. So it's a combination of this, major, to build it, you know, a major grant, and which you don't, we don't have to repay, as loans that we do over time, right. and private philanthropy. Outside the Glass would like to thank our producer, Grant Irving, and all our loyal listeners who have reviewed and rated the podcast, shared their enthusiasm for it on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and more importantly, have spread the word by talking about Outside the Glass with their squash friends. And may all your nicks roll.